Today's guest is the Dean of the College of Business and Professional Studies at Mary Baldwin University and the founder and principal consultant of Emmanuel Strategic Sustainability. This is kind of a different episode because he worked in manufacturing for nearly 30 years and then had kind of a midlife crisis and decided to become an academic. During his doctoral studies, he was introduced to the work of Interface, a sustainable carpet manufacturer. Their founder and chairman, Ray Anderson, shared his spear-in-the-chest epiphany about being an avowed plunderer of the world's resources that really hit home. The topic became the focus of his academic research. He then transitioned to teaching a wide variety of business courses for three years at Ithaca College and then six years at Mary Baldwin University. He also led the development of an MBA built on the B Impact Assessment by B Corporation. For the last five years, he's been the College of Business and Professional Studies Dean at Mary Baldwin University. And in January 2020, he started Emmanuel Strategic Sustainability, a consulting company focused on making manufacturing plants initially more sustainable to help them become regenerative operations. It's very cool. He's also spent the last 18 months writing a weekly thought leadership post on responsible manufacturing, and you can find that at EmmanuelStrategicSustainability.com. I am so honored and excited to welcome Joe Sprangle, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. You're listening to the Half Hippie Podcast with Tara Milo. I'm a half hippie, half princess cat mom, city girl, introvert, and entrepreneur. I don't fit into a box, and you don't either, but I'm committed to making the world a better place through my lifestyle and my business. I love talking about sustainability because I know that you can make a positive difference without giving up the things you love. Here on the Half Hippie Podcast, we're talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. We'll share stories about what makes us all half hippie and what our other half does to make a positive impact in the world. Let's go. Okay, cool. I'm really excited about this conversation because as you work at a university, I used to work at a university and I want to hear all about that and how you got there and all of that. So thank you for joining me. What, first of all, what do you think a hippie is? Did you ever think you were a hippie? <laughs> uh, I was probably what I would consider the farthest from a hippie that I could be, uh, especially I grew up in uh, Michigan in the Midwest. And as you know, probably uh, lots of sustainability things started on the coast and made their way to the, to the middle part of the country. Right. Most of my life, even up until like 15 years ago, I mean, you know, recycling wasn't even considered a, a thing to do, let alone, I mean, we're all driving gas gu guzzling vehicles, and, uh, you know, eating all of our steaks and everything else. <laughs> and, yeah. So, you know, and I've never lived in a commune. I've never smoked marijuana. I've ne you know, I just, you know, the things that uh, uh, I think of when I think of hippies, no, I've I've not been one, but um, I made a transition to New York when I first started teaching full time and uh, moved into a community where um, suddenly you had to pay 
to put a tag on your garbage bag if you wanted it to be taken away as garbage. Otherwise, they would take recycling free. And so right. I'm I'm very uh, frugal individual. So it was like, hey, that's a good deal for me. I, I really want to start recycling. So um, so that was the start of my hippie dumb, I guess. It was uh, a garbage bag. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a great incentive to get people to recycle, to make them pay for garbage. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because right now where I live in Stanton, Virginia, they have actually taken away our curbside recycling. And now you have to take it to a collection area again. And, um, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, put that tag on the bag. You know, that um, it was a very good incentive that uh, yep. if you didn't want to. And it wasn't terribly expensive. I I think you got I mean, I think it cost you a buck a bag or maybe two dollars a bag. But um sure. But it was an incentive, so. Yeah, and mentally, it just makes a shift mentally, whether it's right. a dollar or not. It's it's just yeah. a little bit extra that you're like, okay, I guess I could recycle if that's free. That's <laughs> too bad that people have to drive it to a collection center because they're just not going to. People are busy. Yeah. The worst oh. part, too, is that it's at very restricted hours, and it's partly because they're trying to um, – recycle plastics for example and the the company that will take them is very particular it's got to be a man site with people there to make sure nothing gets in that shouldn't be and, and so forth so i mean they're trying to do their best but uh, the the sad statistic was only half a percent of the people in our town uh, were actually using recycling so um, not not a good statistic i guess so no, and Virginia is beautiful. So yeah. all that trash, I mean, it doesn't stay in Virginia. It goes to other countries. China yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get back to the fun stuff because you have an interesting story. You started in manufacturing, right? And then I did. And then what happened? So I, I tell people I had a midlife crisis and decided to become an academic. So after 30 years of aggressive um, promotions and, and uh, responsibilities. I started out at the lowest of the low of positions in manufacturing and eventually was an engineering manager and ultimately a plant manager. So I was, um, you know, I, I was doing well. I had good success. Um, people liked working for me because I took good care of them. And, and ultimately, surprisingly, they took good care of me when I did that, you know. So, but it, it just didn't really feel very fulfilling. I was sitting there, you know, cranking out the same parts every day. Um, didn't, you know, we, we complied with uh, environmental standards that we were required to, but it really wasn't a, a main focus. So I went back and decided to get my doctorate in um, business administration. And during that time, I was introduced to sustainability and in particular, Ray Anderson, who was then the founder and CEO of Interface, which is a carpet tile company. And um, he was a real folksy, southerner kind of guy. His, his voice was really quite soothing. And um, he realized that, and this was back in 1995, so it was long before many others were having this kind of epiphany. He realized that he was an avowed plunderer of the world's resources after reading The Ecology of Commerce. Mm -hmm. And um, it put him on a, a, an incredible transformation where that company now is one that's working to become regenerative, not just sustainable. And yeah. 
and that, you know, watching that documentary on Ray Anderson um, really did change who I am, what I do, and, and what drives me. So um, it's, uh, I don't know, I just, I get excited just thinking about it right now. Yeah. What's the documentary called? I haven't heard of this. I don't even know right now. It's uh, It was done by a PhD student as a dissertation. Okay. So it's it's not like on a Netflix or something like that. Okay, okay. That's, yeah. I mean, but those documentaries do change people's perspective. Yeah. So that's cool. And it's interesting that, you know, carpet isn't something that we th- we're very conscious of, you know, we're like, oh, this one is pretty. I'll get this one. Right. But there's a lot of bad stuff that can happen in the manufacturing of carpet, whether it's the labor that's used or the materials and the mining and all of that creating the fibers and stuff. Yeah, it was interesting. One of the comments he made was that um, early on he was having people tell him that, uh, you know, he, he was hearing stories that they thought he'd gone round the bend. <laughs> the South means you're going crazy. Um, and, um, you know, I have gone round the bend and I didn't like what I saw, you know. And, and again, just the way he says it or, or said it, unfortunately, he's passed away since. But, um, and eventually, when he realized that one of his um, people got what he was trying to say, the person wrote a um, poem called Tomorrow's Child. And so if you search Ray Anderson, Tomorrow's Child, it's a really neat uh, poem that uh, he he then knew the message was finally getting across to at least one person. So Good. That's good. I love it. He was ahead of his time. And so you discovered him... And then what happened? You stayed in academics, yeah? Yeah, so um, I guess now about uh, 17 years I've been, first I taught for a while, and then uh, the last five years I've been the dean of our College of Business and Professional Studies. Um, I I first started as a full-time academic at Ithaca College in upstate New York, Um, And that was really neat because uh, six months after I arrived, we moved into a LEED Platinum Certified uh, Business School. So that was that was one of my first introductions to it. And all throughout my doctorate work, um, I was, you know, you you have to write different reports, papers and so forth. So I started to focus on everything related to sustainability. And my dissertation actually ended up being on um, company that uh, did chemical management services. So if you think about like somebody farming out their IT services, they were doing the same thing with chemicals. And what they would do is set a baseline and then everything that they saved from that point on, the company received 50% of the savings and the and the management company received the balance. And what they would do is they were an expert in chemicals, right? So they would help them to transition to uh, less harmful chemicals. They would figure out ways to reduce waste, how to reuse chemicals, how to safely dispose of it, and so forth. And and so you know that a lot of what I do is is taking sustainability and applying it more or less as a business case to help manufacturing become more sustainable. So um, I guess that's where my half hippie dumb comes in now. I'm. Uh, a crusader for sustainable manufacturing. So yeah, exactly. I was just thinking like none of this is very sexy, but in the end, it's really, really cool and crucial that we that we do this work, that we start to work this way because 
it's impacting humans and also the planet for sure. So, right. I love it. One of the things that really got me excited was when I was introduced to the B Corporation concept. So the four benefit sector where companies still want to make money, but they want to have a social or an environmental positive impact. And, um, and so I spent like four or five years doing research on that and had an opportunity to meet Michael Perron, who's the CEO of Impact Makers, that was one of the first people to, to become a B Corporation. They helped to create uh, the certification legislation in the Commonwealth of Virginia. He was working with someone on that. The, this benefit corporation legislation was was passed unanimously. So mm-hmm. in, a, in a world where our government is so divided, there at least was one thing where they came together and said, you know, this makes sense. We really should do this. So yeah. um, there is hope. <laughs> exactly. That's great. What are the four pillars, the four components? Well, there's actually five. It's okay. uh, There's the community aspect, the customer, environment, governance, and the worker. And uh, it's uh, when you go in and you do what's called the B impact assessment, you have to score 80 out of 200 to become a certified B corporation. And you might think, well, you know, that that's kind of like a D score. Why is why is that good enough? But um, part of the reason is not everyone can do everything that they have listed. The other part is that the requirements get more and more stringent every time they do it. So. I've, I've gone through it now five times. I'm not a certified B Corp at the moment, but that is a goal for my consulting company. But I go through it and every time, you know, it, the score just gets more and more difficult. But, um, you, you know, it, it really is about what do we got to do in order to change any company to become um, better world citizens, so to speak. Um, they're definitely focused on diversity and inclusion um, and that sort of thing right now, equity. Um, but um, it's just it's it's just a fabulous community for one because um, I don't care who you reach out to in that community, they're open to talking about what they do, how they do it, uh, in particular when they know you're with a, tied with an academic institution. But yeah. but and it's it's been helpful all of this because um, part of the reason why I was excited to come here. To, to be honest, the first requirement was uh, excitement was that my daughter and then one granddaughter and son-in-law lived close by. So that family that thing was was important. But uh, Mary Baldwin University's business department had fully integrated sustainability all across their curriculum. So we were you know early on in that adoption because that would have been they that was probably 12, 13 so years ago. And then. One of the things that uh, I led recently was that we developed a new MBA program, and it's actually built around the B Impact Assessment. So we have classes that are related to governance and the worker and, and, and forth. And we shifted it slightly, but one of the neat things that we do is everything's connected, that um, the work you do in one class has to show up in the other class, and, and the projects are all tied in. So we... We were sitting there one day and the guy said, oh, I'm going to have an exam and I'm going to give them six questions. They got to do four of them and they got to do them in four hours. And we're thinking, holy crap, we got five classes. If somebody's going to be doing that across all of them, that's going to be torture. Yeah. So we took we had a common case study. And so in the accounting class, 
you know, you would have to figure out, well, where's the money going to come from? And in the marketing class, if I said I was going to spend a million dollar on, on a budget for uh, marketing, well, it better show up in your accounting statements and so forth. So um, it, it really has been quite successful in students to understand overall what it means to be a responsible business. So, yeah. That's and so that's very unique as well. So. And universities have so much potential to make a yeah. difference. Yes. And I, I actually worked at a university about 12, 10, 12 years ago. And back then it was just banging my head against the wall. I was on the sustainability committee, which I actually called the why we can't be sustainable committee because every time we would come with a proposal, they would explain why we couldn't do it. And then the guy like went and bought some composting machine or some like garbage sorting machine, just one machine and put it on campus and was like, this is from the sustainability committee. And I was like, this is not a sustainability committee. This is terrible. So I'm happy to see universities doing something real. (laughs) There are many out there that are doing the right thing. So it's a, it's kind of kind of a lagging sort of thing, right? That yes. Many of them, well, you talk about banging your head on the wall. I, coming from industry into academia was a really rude transition. <laughs> so it was like, whoa, you know, things that I, I, I you know, I, I made a comment one day, you know, this thing that we've been spending a whole semester on in business, we would have made that decision over the weekend, you know? Yep. <laughs> Yep, exactly. uh, The bureaucracy is just, oh, it's soul sucking. (laughs) And it's, you know, part of it is if you're trying to be very diligent, very in-depth, very, you know, leave no stone unturned sort of person, well, what else should you expect, right? But but for those of us that weren't uh, there originally, it was like, this is so bizarre. But um, so, you know, it's, it's, at the same time, thankfully, we're a small university, so we can pivot very quickly and do things uh, much more quickly than maybe some of the state institutions, for example. But. Yeah, but it probably also lets your students see one perspective of it, like the, the really in-depth and thorough thing. And then when they get out there, they're able to make decisions quickly and they're able to say, oh, my gosh, this drove me crazy when we had to have 15 me- meetings to make one decision. Let's make a decision. So it probably you know, spit yeah. people out who are good thinkers. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, Mary Baldwin is a, it started out as a liberal arts, uh, institution. And so I actually like the fact that we teach business at that sort of, uh, uh, kind of school because it does teach you about critical and creative thinking and how to speak better and how to write better. And, uh, you know, so many other things, and at the same, t- so those are the the skill sets that I want my students to have. In addition to then, okay, how do I how do I use this to now go out and solve some of the problems that we're facing? So it, it really is a nice blend. So. Yeah. Well, I'm curious a little more about you. Like, what's your favorite hippie thing that you do now? <laughs> <laughs> I somehow I've uh, become. Um, a champion for uh, returning citizens. So uh, people that have been incarcerated and now want to be reintegrated into society mm-hmm. um, or other causes. Uh, I, I really think that uh, manufacturing could benefit from, from figuring out how to best all, uh, utilize people that are on the autism spectrum. 
Um, you know, manufacturing jobs are very repetitive. They, you know, you do the same same thing all day long, every day, day after day. Yeah. And you know, it kind of kind of fits with what some people in that that uh, situation. Um, you know, it's actually an ideal situation uh, for for most people. And part of the reason I came up with that is that I listened to a guy that his father had a son, his brother that was autistic. And he didn't, he was aging out of the system. He didn't know what he was going to do, you know, mm-hmm. because he wanted him to have some sort of purpose. And so they decided to buy a, a car wash and, and the son worked there. And then they also hired other people that were also autistic. And it turned out they started um, beating out the competition ferociously because if you tell that person that you're responsible for the front passenger seat area and you do X, Y, and Z, they do it really well. And right. so... Um, in manufacturing, you know, right now there's like a 500,000, um, employment gap, um, that's expected to grow to 4 million in the 10 years because so many people in manufacturing are people like myself that are older, uh, baby boomers sort of people, uh, that are, they're leaving. And there's not a lot of people that are following behind that, mm. that have seen manufacturing as a good thing to do as a career. So, so that's that's part of my hippie dumb, I guess, as well is, you know, sustainable, responsible manufacturing. To me, if, if you're doing the right things within the walls, you also have to do the right things outside of the walls. And so if I, as a manufacturing location, can help to to rehire people that have done time or bring in people that are on the autism spectrum or help people that are returning veterans from, from military service. Um, but also, you know, so many companies in the past, all they were looking for was where can I find the cheapest labor? Where can I find resources that I can extract? And, and once, once they're no longer available, we move on to the next sort of place. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what I'm doing is, is trying to show how manufacturing can leverage and lift up a community and so people that um, maybe they don't have um, opportunity to get education for a variety of reasons. Well, I'm, I'm a perfect example of almost all of my education through a doctorate was paid for by companies that I work for in manufacturing. And so um, another opportunity, um, it's, it's not an, uh, an industry that has many women working in it. So yep. women that want to, to have good opportunity for wonderful pay, wonderful benefits, opportunities for advancement. It's, it's another case where, you know, that there's so much potential there in particular, you know, as more and more people are not entering it, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I just see a lot of uh, a really neat benefits for a lot of people that, that um, um, haven't been able to have some of these opportunities in the past. So, yeah, that's really compassionate of you. And I do see that a lot in this sustainability movement, that it is inclusive and thoughtful of people who are different from us and who can benefit and should benefit and not be trampled over like they have been. Yeah. I'm really excited about, uh, it's called Network to Work. Uh, it's, it's bubbling up. It, it started out in uh, Charlottesville, part of Virginia, and now it's coming to the Shenandoah Valley. But one of the neat things is that it pairs people that are employers with employees. But the really 
um, strongest part of it is that it also pairs people with the service providers. So maybe you're an undocumented alien and you need to figure out how to get that done. Well, this program will help them to make that happen. Maybe you can't afford transportation, so they will upfront you a car so that you can get to a job and so forth. And, you know, I've worked for nonprofits where you get people to a certain level and, and if they just creep above that by a dollar, all of a sudden they can't get any help. Yes. And so then, you know, they're put back and, and so they're just left in this, you know, cycle of I can't get I can't better myself because I can't get quite enough to get where I need to go yep. before they take all that away. And then and so uh, to me, that's that's what's really exciting about this. Maybe we can start to break some of these cycles. And um, and so, yeah. you know, a lot of what I've been talking about with manufacturing, I think, you know, the good paying jobs, the some of the latest data, I think, you know, with wage and benefits, $40 an hour sort of thing, yep. um, you know. I, there was actually uh, one job in a plant that I went through. You made $40 an hour just to run that job. Now, I'm telling you, it was not a good job because there's a reason they were paying $40 an hour to do it. It was a hot, nasty environment. But yeah. that's an opportunity to go in and, you know, suck it up for a while. Exactly. You know, go in, do the job, make some money, get yourself a down payment on a house. Oh, by the way, they paid tuition so you could also get, you know, your education. Right. And so, right. you know, why do that as opposed to, you know, service industry job like a restaurant, you know, waiter or waitress where you're you're making two bucks an hour or whatever it is, accounting on tips. And, yep. um, you know, and so I, I've never understood that. So I, I'm a big advocate of manufacturing because it does pay well and good benefits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you had mentioned there is going to be a labor sort shortage and there yeah. are so many people who are trying to enter the country <laughs> and work. Well, yeah, that's that's one of the things that um, we've been talking with one of our local senators about um, very uh, not very far in that conversation mm -hmm. yet. We apparently in the U.S., we either want you to pick our apples or our, our peas or whatever, or we want you to be a rocket scientist, but we don't really care about anybody in between. It's yeah. like, why not? You know, I mean, if we can't get people to work in manufacturing, as you mentioned, there are people all over the globe that would love to come and do that sort of work. So um, exactly. But, huh. you know, in the U.S. right now, now there's a, just a massive divide between one one ideology and the other about what we should do to move forward. And we're all about, unfortunately, what we disagree about as opposed to, can we start focusing on things we do agree on? So, Yes, <laughs> I mean, exactly. We all like to go out to restaurants and eat. And that's, you know, many of our businesses now, they're shutting down for a couple of days a week because they can't get enough people to work. Um, and right. so it's, it's every industry right now, hotel industry, the, you know, hospitality transportation industry, the manufacturing. Um, it's, it's a very difficult time here. So. Yeah, I know. It's true. We need some better sound bites <laughs> about the positives of sustainability yes. and, and good immigration programs and all of this stuff. The frustrating thing for me is that there's just research after research that shows that actually being a responsible business is actually a more profitable way to do business. Yes. And yet, People aren't able to do it. Now, part of it is, you know, Walmart started to become more sustainable. 
I don't know if they were doing it maybe for the right reasons uh, because it was socially and environmentally responsible. But they found out that, you know, an example was if they put a small engine in their tractor trailers, they that could run some electricity, provide some heat for the driver while the you know, sleeping in the evening as opposed to having the massive engine running all night and, and emitting all those emissions. But of course, Walmart has a lot of money to reinvest in that sort of thing. But the reality is even a small company, you just start out doing what you can and make, you know, just keep continuing to make improvements. So there's, there's so much waste in manufacturing. Um, and, and I, I talk about either they're, you know, they're not utilizing their employees in the best possible manner, or they have air compressors that are running night and day because they have so many leaks in the plant, or they, the water runs all the time because somebody didn't shut off the valve or, or even shut off the lights, for example. So, you know, a lot of those things are very inexpensive. If you need to change the light bulb, we'll go buy an energy efficient bulb as opposed to another. Well, I don't think we can buy indecescent bulbs anymore, but, yeah. but you get that uh, there's so many things that you know okay start small do what you can and then keep moving forward so exactly this this movement is saving money as well as saving the planet like when i walk by a taxi driver and he's running his engine i'm like how much money do you have really you're just shooting money out the back of your car like (laughs) not to mention polluting the planet and stinking up the air for me you're wasting money anyway (laughs) yes but, it's all connected. We're all connected. It's a, it's a planet. It doesn't have to be so siloed. So I love yeah. the the work that you're doing is really cool. Thank you. Yeah. How did you have time to be a dean and start a consulting firm? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do my dean work during the day, and then most nights and parts of weekends, I do the consulting sort of thing. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm making some transitions that will allow for more of that to happen. But uh, I, you know, I just sat there. I will be 62 in November. And I thought, you know, what do I want my last chapter to be? Do I want to bang my head on the wall of the academic institution? Or do I want to go out and try to make a difference? And and so part of it is, you know, I, I, I come from a, a Christian faith where I do believe that in, in many ways, it's really surprising because when that documentary came to be that I talked about earlier, and then I started down this path, it just seems like things just kind of flop in front of me at the at the most ideal time. And so, I don't whether it's the energy of the world or the you know I like I say I believe kind of it's a, what I'm supposed to be doing sort of thing. Yeah. And um, and, and then I sat there going, okay, you know, I. I want to continue to be active. And, you know, I look at our, the president of the United States right now, 78 or 79, you know, I think, okay, well, there's no reason why I need to retire at 65 or 67 or whatever. Yeah. If I continue to, to contribute meaningful manner, I want to do that. Keep my mind sharp to, to feel fulfilled. And now I won't probably do it as many hours as I do it right now at some point, but, yeah. um, you know, it'll be a way to say, hey, I want to take a trip or I need to buy a new car or whatever. Um, you know, I, I can also do that sort of thing. So it, to me, it's kind of a multi-win kind of situation to to make this transition and um, and just be doing something that really excites me that I'm passionate about. And, uh, you know, it's 
after a lot of years of not feeling that way, in particular when I was in manufacturing, it's it's really nice to be able to, you know, there's it, it has to drive you if you're going to do it till like last night. I was doing it till ten o'clock. I get up this morning. I was doing it before I got to work. I do it, you know, on the weekends, and yep. I've been writing a weekly blog post now since uh, January of uh, last year. And, um, you know, there are a lot of days where it's like I was with my family this weekend, you know, finishing up the last bits of the blog post so I could get it posted. And, yeah. you know, it, it's um, it really is uh, rewarding and, and gives me a lot of energy and, and hope that I can make a difference. So, Are you optimistic about the future of the planet and climate change and all of this? I think so because, uh, you know, I keep seeing more and more that uh, companies are starting to step up and do the right thing. And so, you know, 80% of the world wealth is tied into business in some manner, right? That people either own shares of stock in the company or, or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, especially the the, the companies that, that get it, they understand that this is not only this is not a good business situation for companies to have raging forest fires and temperatures of 130 degrees in Portland, Oregon, of all places, or Idaho. I mean, we've had yeah. you know up in Canada even uh, these extreme temperatures, um, you know, rising water levels, uh, increased hurricanes, um, and so on and so forth. So, you know. It's, it's sad that it has to get to a point where it's so, almost an emergency that people understand that something has to change. But we're starting to see more and more of that. And to see these companies like B Corporations in this for benefit sector that that are stepping up and, 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 and running very responsible companies. Now, most of them have been small to, to low into the medium size. But you're starting to see more and more of these larger corporations step up and um, look at it as well. So like Denone North America was one of the first large corporations to become B Corp certified. Um, there's, you know, there's many, uh, several others that are starting to do that. But that is what gives me hope that, you know, we've rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement and many things like that. So. Yeah. And I like the emphasis on businesses because a lot of us want regulations. We want the government to do something, but the government either won't or they can't, or they're just way too slow. And businesses can make such a big difference. So we as consumers get to put some pressure on businesses and they can react a lot faster than governments do. So you're in the right spot, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I believe you're correct. um, And I mean, part of it is again, that, that they are also seeing that it just, it makes them more financially viable as well. So, yeah. And they probably feel better. I mean, it feels good to hire someone who needs a job and is going to work really hard. Like we're, we're human. We want to feel good about what we do. So, yeah. yeah. The other thing that, that gives me optimism is that the younger generations, they, they don't ask for it. They expect to have a company they work for that's in alignment with their values. And if it's not, they're not going to go somewhere else. So part of solving the employment gap is also I got to have a company that is socially, environmentally responsible, doing the right things, treating people the right way, or I'm not going to have anybody working for me. So uh, 
employees want to be, be engaged. They want to be part of the decision-making. They want to be involved in helping to make a company better. And, um, and so, you know, that's, that's the other thing that gives me a lot of optimism is that, you know, the, the younger generations get it, you know, yes. they, they, they're like, you know, you old white men have kind of ruined this thing for us. So we now need to fix it. And, um, and so, you know, I look forward to seeing how that does evolve. So. Yeah. And they, they lift me up too. Cause I'm Gen X. So I'm, yeah, I like watching those guys just demand it. They are not shutting up and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then just a, uh, you know, the things that are happening with black lives matters and, and, and a lot of what's being uh, pushed out right now with the diversity, uh, yep. inclusion and uh, equity sort of stuff that, um, you know, it's somebody wants to, well, you know, all lives matter. Why does it just have to be Black Lives Matter? And, and and someone said, well, you know, we've had organizations for years like March of Dimes or my one granddaughter was born with something called congenital diaphragmatic hernia. And so they have CDH Day, for example. Well, nobody complains about the fact we have CDH Day. So, okay, why should we care that, you know, so much that Black people want to have better equity, inclusion, you know, and so forth. Uh, yeah. And so we should be celebrating that we want to include everybody. So, um, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it's just hard sometimes for us to change. And um, so, you know, and, and the, I think in some ways the pandemic is, is just brought everybody to a, a different level where they're going like, wow, you know, there's, there's more important things to life than going in and grinding out a job every day to make a lot of money so I can buy a lot of expensive things and then have to buy more expensive things because my neighbors have better things than I have sort of thing. And so, um, so you know, unfortunately, a lot of people died. A lot of people have suffered greatly. But I do think in some ways there will be some very positive impacts that come out of it as well. So. Yeah, it did give us a lot of time to sit in our own stuff and think about what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just simple things like being able to see your family or yeah. you know, just just going out to, to eat with friends or, you know, go to a movie or, yeah. you know, you, you didn't realize how much you really enjoyed those sorts of things until you couldn't do them anymore for a while. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have one last question for you. What's something that you wish you were doing better for the planet? Like what's your least hippie thing you do? So the the big thing for me now is I'm, you know, I'm in the exploration phases of putting solar on my house or moving away from internal combustion engines. And, yeah. you know, do I go hybrid or do I go all the way to uh, full electric? And um, I, I, you know, I, I sometime my, the hair kind of stands up on the back of my neck when people say, well, it's a hundred percent no impact vehicle. Well, if you're getting it from a coal fired plant, you know, it still is. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but even so, I mean, there's certainly a lot of benefits to it. So I guess the least hippie thing is I've, I've focused so much on the manufacturing part of it that I, I need to do more of it in my day to day life. And so mm. I'm trying to figure out what that is and how to do it. So. Yeah, I like that. You know what? Most people do mention their car. And I live in Portugal. I don't know if you picked that up, but there are so many different kinds of electric cars. Like in the U.S., you have a couple of big car manufacturers. But here, there's like seven or eight different manufacturers of electric cars that people don't even have access to in the U.S. So 
I don't yeah, know. I know when we were in Europe a couple of times, you know, we'd, we'd find all these various cars that, that they, are, they were obviously electric. So I have pictures of myself near all these, you know, <laughs> and they're so small. It was like one person could barely get in the car, I think. But it's like, why not? You know, now yeah. here, since we have all these interstates, people driving 70, 80, 90 miles an hour, I really want one that's very safe if I'm going to get yeah. in something like that. And I think that's part of it as well, is that we, there's there's so much we got to change. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, self-driving cars will make freeways more safe. And then you might feel better about driving in a small electric versus uh, a big SUV, for example. So Yes, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. I think you're leaning in the right direction with the solar panels and the electric car. Like you're, that's perfect, right? Yeah. Yep. It's good. Now so, we just need better batteries. That's the next. Yeah. Yeah. Because even there, you know, people talk about, well, the batteries, how do you recycle them and so forth? So, you know, it's a constant evolution. It's, it's something that, okay, it's better now than it was five years ago or 10 years ago, five years from now, who knows you know, how much better it'll be. Yep. And I profiled uh, Mary Barra from uh, GM the other day and, you know, they're going fully electric in the next, I think by mid thirties, I think. Nice. Um, and so, you know, it's, yeah. So you're, you're starting to see even them moving in that direction. And so, you know, but at the same time, you're going to have all these people that are, you know, producing gasoline or, you know, many other things that, that won't be necessary in an all electric economy. So what are we going to do to help transition them? And that, you know, um, I think about uh, Hoover vacuum cleaner company was a buggy harness manufacturer at one point. And when they realized that horse and, you know, drawn uh, carriages and wagons were going away, they needed to pivot. Well, I think a lot of these companies also need to pivot as well. So like our sheets is a, a regional uh, gas station here. Well, suddenly they have all sorts of Tesla chargers, for example. And so, uh -huh. you know, they realize, hey, we got to we got to do something different here. So, yeah, um, yeah. Others, others are going to have to do the same. So if you're making piston rings now, you better figure out what else you need to make because we're not going to need them in 10, 15 years. So. Yep. It's such a great opportunity for businesses yep. to get ahead of the game and they're just going to take off and be so profitable by being forward thinking. Mm. Thank you so much, Joe. This was great. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. Pretty much covered it. I um, appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and uh, wish you all the best in the work you're trying to accomplish. Thank you. This was really fun. I love it. That was so great. I just love how many different perspectives he's able to explore and make the business case for sustainability, which is not only about the environment like we talked about, but it's also about bringing people up and giving people a dignified life. And whether those people are formerly incarcerated or immigrants or people with special needs, everybody deserves a chance at a good life. And he's an advocate for them and I really love that and he's also so smart about sustainability in terms of business and manufacturing and how they can really make a difference so I am just so honored and inspired by this conversation and I hope you were too 
If you're not familiar with B Corps and some of the other things that he mentioned during the interview, I'll post some of that over on Instagram. So be sure to follow Half Hippie Podcast on Instagram. I'll post some other resources and some of my favorite quotes from Joe and, and good stuff. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you soon.